Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker. And she uses all of these skills to address the subjects that we all grapple with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Tuesday, Elizabeth. Happy Tuesday, Brad. And where are you going to take us today? Today we are going on a journey into our 20s. Maybe uh, not all the way back into our 20s, but really what the 20s uh, represent on our developmental journey. That's, uh, the over, that's the overarching theme for today. Ah, uh, my 20s. <laughs> so when I was in my 20s, and here's, here's the, the funny thing. I, as I'm going to tell the story, I can hear my mother saying, well, when I was that age, I already had two children and a house. And I remember, you know, thinking with my older daughter, who had her first child late in her 20s, um, well, just when she turned 30, thinking, gosh, by the time I was your age, I had, you know, children at house. Like each generation seems to look at their 20s through that lens. Um, but when I was in my 20s, because of the time that I graduated from college, I was probably the last wave of the uh, original feminists, not the second wave of feminists, but the old uh, feminists, because I went to college and got married and had a child pretty rapidly in succession. And so by the time I was 25, I had a, a husband and a child and a house and a car payment and all those things that go with being an adult. Um, but none of my friends did because we were that first generation of second wave feminists. So all of my friends either went to grad school or they had jobs or they were traveling. I mean, they saw this period of time after we graduate from college is their kind of coming out experience where they got to really step into adulthood and take the reins and create their, you know, future uh, endeavors with a lot of gusto. So it was kind of a, my experience being in my 20s was a little bit lonely uh, because I didn't have that peer group that, that was, were all experiencing raising kids at the same time. Interestingly, it wasn't until I was 35 when I had my second daughter that all of our friends were having their first children. And so I had that experience of that group uh, child-rearing experience, which was fabulous. But my 20s was a little different than a lot of my cohort. And I think my 20s were a little different from a lot of the continued millennials and for the Gen Zs. And what's interesting about the 20s as a decade is that there's a lot of controversy or discussion or debate about what it actually means to go through that developmental stage. Because we talk a lot about the developmental stages of adolescence and all the growth that happens. Are we talking, you know, school age years or the developmental growth that happens when you go through midlife? Um, but what we're supposed to be doing with that early or young adult period of transition is, has been an interesting debate for the last couple decades. There are some researchers that talk about the 20s as being an emerging adulthood, that because of so many changes in our society and how complex it is to work and that we're living longer uh, for a host of reasons, the 20s are seen as this time where you're growing into being an adult, that it's this long kind of leisurely path from adolescence into adulthood. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about that. And then there's some schools of thought that 
Um, it's because we've raised lazy children and that they are in this extended stuck adolescent period of playing video games and not wanting to take you know life seriously and things have been too easy for them and their parents let them stay at home and no one's booting anyone out of the nest. So we have this kind of uh, stunted growth of those coming through their 20s. And then there's a school of thought that your 20s are the time when you set up your life, that you should be taking steps to make sure you have your professional career in line, that you know where you're going to live, to be doing that professional networking, to find your significant other, and that by the time you come out of your 20s, that that should be all in place, because if you don't, you do in some ways fall behind in your developmental trajectory because there is a shortened amount of time for being able to work or set these relationships up into place or to have children if that's the idea. And so there are these three conflicting schools of thought around what our 20s is supposed to be. And I thought that that would be an interesting conversation today, especially because um, I have a friend back in the studio who has been on the show a few times, Kyle Berlin, who happens to be almost exiting his 20s. And we first started having conversations with Kyle. He was just entering his 20s and heading off to Princeton uh, to study and become a young man of the world. And since then, he graduated from Princeton as a valedictorian and has had fellowships and put on productions and explored his different options. And now, coming to the end of his 20s, he's got some thoughts about what that looks like. Um, and then we're also probably pull my intern, Gabe, into the conversation at some point because he's at the lower part of his 20s at 22 and just getting ready to graduate from college. And so what is what is his vision for his 20s look like? And of course, we're going to open up the phone lines to hear what you have to say about your 20s and, and what that looked like, how you felt set up or didn't set up, or did you just enjoy it? Did you join the dead tour and travel around the country for most of your 20s? Because a side note, it's a totally random side note. My husband, Chris, is having the best time because he signed up for a Stanford University <laughs> community education course, and it's all the history of the Grateful Dead. And <laughs> last night was his first class, and there were 250 people in this class from all over the country. And he said the side chat with all the people about what they're doing was almost as interesting as the actual lectures, <laughs> which was also fascinating. So there's a lot of ways that we have spent our 20s and stories to tell about it. So we'll be opening up the phone line for that as well. This is A Conversation with a Reluctant Therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and you can be part of our conversation by giving us a call at 805-781-3875. You can be part of the conversation after the show by sending me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. You can leave me a message there. Although I didn't think I'd get anything posted this week, but you can still always send me a message through the Reluctant Therapist pages. You can listen to previous shows by visiting kcbx.org. Or you can podcast our show wherever it is you look for podcasts and put in a conversation with a reluctant therapist and our show will be there for you to enjoy and write a review and share with your friends. So think about those 20s. What does it mean to you? We're going to take a quick break and come back and start our conversation. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Sometimes in our lives, we all Lean on me. 
Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And I am joined in the studio today by my friend Kyle Berlin. Hello, Kyle. Hi, Elizabeth. And our intern Gabe. Is that okay? Do you like to be called intern Gabe? That's fine. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Kyle, let's catch everyone up if they haven't had the pleasure of hearing your uh, guest voice on my show before. I mentioned that you left Royal Grande, went to Princeton, graduated as a valedictorian. I have to always mention it because it is a big deal. Um, and then set off into the world. And can you kind of talk about the journey of your 20s? And you're turning, you turned 29 this year? You're correct. Uh, yeah. In 2024. Okay. So so walk us through since leaving Princeton, how have you spent your 20s? Ooh. I know. Well, that, that's... We have an hour. <laughs> well, now only 50 minutes. So. <laughs> All right. I'll try not to take the whole time. Uh, yes. Uh, well, thank you for having me. It's, it's nice to come back and, like and talk here. to you here as a, a Royal Grande born and raised person to check in with you as one of my mentors is amazing. Um, Thank you. But yeah, so I left, I left Princeton after that intensity of the college experience. And I, and I basically was ready to just take a break for, I slept, I slept for like (laughs) a month or two after just the intensity of college. And then um, I spent the next sort of series of months and then years kind of just trying out different lives in a way in different places so I spent about six months in New York City working at different off-Broadway theaters interning with different avant-garde theater people and then I moved to Buenos Aires Argentina for about nine months and similarly interned with a documentary theater director there um, lived with uh, local local people and played soccer just <laughs> uh, you know ate carne, ate carne asada you know the Argentine kind of experience um, and then after that, I had a, a arts fellowship uh, and a Fulbright um, to go to Brazil and lived in in Rio de Janeiro and Belém, which is in the north of Brazil, and spent about a year doing that. I spent another like nine months working for the ACLU on immigration advocacy and a different um, immigration organization called Al Otro Lado, which is based in Tijuana, um, and that was a different kind of legal advocacy side of trying trying that out uh, for a bit um, and then most recently I've I've been living in London um, and kind of immersed in the arts scene there um, and finding my my way in a, in a new city so I've been really all over the place but yeah I feel like I've been searching for for answers to questions I don't quite know and I guess if you were to describe yourself I mean at this point, almost turning 29, you're a writer and a performer. Uh, and you've put together a theater group, you failed to mention that as well, that's done multiple productions. Let's talk about that because one of the reasons you're back in Aurora Grande is part of that theater group that you started. That's right. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rhizome Theater Company is a, is a local not-for-profit uh, documentary theater group that me and two of my collaborators – um, from Arroyo Grande High School. We all went to AGHS together. We started back when we were all in college, got a big national peace grant to do a peace project, and we made this show called Nice Town, Normal People. And your partners are? Ashlyn Hatch and McCulmy Alexander-Hills. Um, and this this month we're working on a new project um, with a, a new collaborator, also an AGHS grad named uh, Madison Shaheen, a local thespian uh, as well. 
and we're, we've been focusing on grandmothers. So we've been talking. Our theater is not, you know, it's not fictional. The, our whole, when I say documentary theater, the idea is that we do interviews with local people and transcribe those interviews. And from those transcripts and the words of those people, we put together a script and a performance that reflects their stories and their words. And is that so, like readers theater, would they call it? Is well, that what it's called, or is it different than that? It's. I would say it's a bit different in that we really stage them fully. Like we, our productions usually have music and there's movement and and people in the audience often interacting, and we we make the shows you know about topics that are of interest to the community. So we like to say it's of the community, by the community, and, and for local local people. Um, so the interviews you've done with grandmothers, because I know you talk to me as a grandmother, um, is it all local then, or do you pull interviews from other areas? Yes, the majority of the grandmothers we've spoken to, all but one, have been local Central Coast grandmothers. The thing is, when you start talking to grandmothers, they <laughs> say, well, you know, you should really talk to this other person. And one of the people we talked to, uh, to be all in totally frank, lives yes. in Washington State. But okay. her interview was so good that we are including her on our Central Coast show. Yes, as an honorary AG person. And I cut you off. The first show you did was called? Oh, Nice Town, Normal People. And it was about our hometown of Arroyo Grande and investigating this idea of what does it mean to be a nice town and <laughs> normal people? Um, what are these kind of normative assumptions about what this town is? And what is it actually according to the people that live there? Um, and how might we envision a, a broader and, and more joyous and inclusive future for, for the town? And so you took that idea to other communities in the country. What were some of the other towns that you did the same format? Right. So we, yeah, we, we performed it in Princeton, New Jersey, back when I was going to college there. And someone there saw it and said, oh, my gosh, you really need to come to our 200-person small town in rural Maine. So then later that year, the next year, we went and spent a couple of weeks up in Maine, both performing our show about Arroyo Grande, but then using that to stage a conversation with the local Maine community and helping them craft a short show about their own town. And what we found is that actually a lot of the dynamics, even though the places are very far apart, mm -hmm. were quite similar because it's about people coexisting as neighbors and friends and the complexities and conflicts of, of all of that. Yeah. And we've been, and then we've taken it to Pittsburgh and Chicago and um, different places across across the country. And then COVID hit, and that kind of got in the way. But so you're re, you're jump starting Rhizome Theater in that's some right. ways. This is our first post COVID new production. And so, what's the goal? Because you kind of had this vision for the nice town was about community and how people perceived what it was to live in this community. What's your goal with this production? Well. And it's very fitting with your topic about the 20s. We're, we're interested in this sort of other end, if you will, of, mm -hmm. of life and, and older women in particular. Um, you know, we, we say grandmothers, but we're interested in, in older women in, in, in general and this unique role that they occupy in our society. Because um, some, in some ways, they're extremely powerful and respected. And in other ways, they're often discounted and totally seen invisible. as over the hill or mm -hmm. invisible. Mm -hmm. And so aging... As a woman, uh, the power of, of lived experience of women, these are kind of what we're interested in, in fleshing out uh, and giving you know, voice to um, through these local grandmothers. So when's the show? I'm glad you asked. The show <laughs> is this Sunday um, at 2 p.m. at the Women's Club of Arroyo Grande. That's 211 Vernon Street. And it's free, open to all, no tickets required. 
So we would, anybody who's listening who wants to come hear what some grandmothers have to say and reflect on you know, generational uh, exchange and, and wisdom, more than welcome 2 p.m. this Sunday at the Women's Club in AG. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and you're listening to my guest, Kyle Berlin, writer, performer, uh, Arroyo Grande, hometown person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we are going to kind of transition to talking about that journey through your 20s. And Kyle, you did a ton, but you and I started talking about the book, The Defining Decade, which was written by Dr. Meg Jay, if anyone's interested in reading it. And it's something that was handed to me by professors at Cal Poly. They were really inspired by this to you know, motivate our students to really make something of their 20s and kind of follow this um, almost prescription of intentionally marching through by you know checking things off the box of the time you hit 30, you're set up for life. When I mentioned to you, let's talk about this on the show, your response was, I have some pushback. <laughs> All right. So given your experience of your 20s and, and how do you look back on it, does it feel like it's been worthwhile and productive? And what's your pushback of this, this idea of hammering down the defining decade? Well, it's funny because my own grandmother actually <laughs> gave me this book a couple years ago and said, hey, you know, I thought you might want to take a look at this. <laughs> And, you know, the sort of, as you said, the idea of the book is basically you're setting up your life in your 20s and you need to be getting all these things done in the career department, in the relationship department, in the economic department, economic, all of these things. Like you need to do that now in your 20s. And if you're not doing that now, you're really missing the boat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, I understand the argument. um, And I think that it makes sense to think about the trajectory of your life. And, and try to set up um, and imagine where you might want to go and start making steps now in your 20s. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. and this is my, my pushback. Your pushback, okay. And I, I, I said I was almost offended that my grandmother gave this to me. Because <laughs> uh, on the other hand, I, I frankly resent the idea that this, this pressureful idea that you really need to have it figured out or be figuring it out with urgency in, mm-hmm. in your 20s. Because I find actually that that seeps now to earlier adolescence, that mm. people in high school who I talk to are stressed and anxious and, and worried about getting into college and jobs and whatnot. And, and I think that there's this intense pressure of our society to, to succeed in terms of careers and, and economic, in particular, arenas. Mm-hmm. And people feel the precarity of our economic system mm-hmm. such that th- they suffer subjectively. And I, and I think that um, life is about I- exploring what it means to be alive and the many different paths that that can take. And I think the 20s are a wonderful time to do that and not only to be deeply pragmatic about, you know, checking off different things on the list. From from what I'm hearing then, this idea of Dr. Meg Jay is that there's one right way to do life then. I mean, that feels a little bit like what the the theme of the book is, is that we all should be kind of concentrating on this one path towards a successful or fruitful adult experience. And what you're saying, it's way too narrow. Well, it's, I have a problem with sort of timeline theories of anything, timeline theory of history, timeline theory of life, as if history or life was a line that moves in one direction Mm -hmm. and you sort of go accumulating and improving and evolving. And, you know, you get the 
marriage and you get the kids and you get the job, you know, this sort it of old builds on each other, white yeah. picket building. Mm-hmm. And actually I find that life is a different shape. Okay. That maybe it's a squiggle. Maybe it's an infinity sign. Maybe it's a, a triangle. You know, I don't think it's, it's a line. Okay. Yeah, and that, that linear piece is interesting because and Gabe took my class. I talk a lot about the conveyor belt that we stick children on from the time they're born or even by the time we find we're pregnant, that there's this conveyor belt of here's how my child's life needs to go, and I need to set them up as the parent by having the best preschool and all the way through and the best opportunities and the best sports. I mean, come on, your parents and I, we raised our children together. We all raised you together, and we definitely had that vision of what we wanted for you to succeed but I'll, but I also recognize that that conveyor belt doesn't suit all people. And so that's, I think, where you get into a little bit of trouble with this idea that there is, it all has to happen by the time you're the end of your 20s. Because as you're, I think you're saying, is if you're a, slow, a late bloomer or a slow bloomer, um, then in some ways it's saying you might as well just curl up and give up because if you haven't finished by the time you're 30 it's over which is interesting and brad will probably remember this too when i came out of college again that end of the you know or the beginning the end of the second wave and moving into that part of you know women's movements out into the workforce there was a very um pointed pushback on women kind of moving out into the workforce. Uh, And Ronald Reagan is one who said it was that women had, they didn't get married by the time they were 30. They had as much chance of finding a partner as they would by getting struck by lightning. I don't know if that seeped down into your generation at all. But that was this, you know, it was a front page of Time magazine. And it was kind of this whole, almost a threat at women who were doing careers and not settling down and not following that conveyor belt or that path, that they better get on it or that their dream was over. And so in some ways it feels like the same idea that there's this one way to make sure we get through life. And if we don't, we're in trouble. Having said that, though, Kyle, (laughs) (laughs) just, you know, from the stories of my friend I started the show off with, all of my roommates, I'm the only one who ended up getting married and having children. That they all turned 40 and when we had our reunion said, oh, I missed the part of getting married and having kids. And so in some ways, I've seen this, and again, maybe it's just stories, but I've seen this from plenty of my cohort that there there was partly a linear piece to this that had to happen in order. If not, all of a sudden they had missed it. Now, Gloria Steinem didn't do any of those things and fell in love and got married for the first time at 65. So that would kind of take your triangle theory. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I'm wondering if it's awareness that we're talking about and maybe not so much a mandate of behavior. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I like couching it in terms of awareness. Uh, and I, I mean, I think you, you're right. There there's this kind of linear narrative for for reasons. It's not that these things come from mm-hmm. nowhere, um, but I think you know my pushback comes from this idea of well, because this is a shape that works for lots of people, that this is the shape that it needs to be for mm-hmm. everybody or for even for most people. I mean, because I think and and I'm not knocking uh, you know getting married and having kids and getting a job in your 20s or your early 30s. Who knows? It might happen to me, and then you know before you I turn 30. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm j- I just want to you know keep open the space of possibility and and permission, which I don't feel is often given, both socially but also economically, educationally, and otherwise to 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 play with different 
shapes for okay. for living and being. And so let's let's bring the other two stories, the other two arguments in, because one was about the defining decade and you know getting on that conveyor belt and making things happen. And and you and I both see that for many people that works and having some sort of um, expectations helps move the timeline along. But then the other two arguments were one, we have what's called an emerging adulthood from eighteen to twenty eight, I think are the years. And it's based on a couple of things. One is neuroscience has shown us that we really don't develop our adult, our brain fully into adulthood until we're 25. And so asking young people from 18 to 25 to make these critical life decisions is kind of unrealistic or, you know, maybe higher rates of failure because you're asking people that aren't fully formed in their adult brain to make those choices. And then the other emerging adulthood piece is that it it does take more education to be able to compete in a complex society and that we are living longer and that people have more opportunities. And so maybe the 20s is, is really a, almost a developmental change, revolution that's happened over the last couple hundred years. Because, you know, at some point, I, I don't know the dates, but people only live to be 30. So you're having kids at 12, but that's changed that we've you know, the evolution of that has changed. And so the emerging adulthood theory is part of that, that we have to extend it. But then there's the argument of, no, it's really just about an extended adolescence that no one is being forced or encouraged to change. So on those two stories, what do you think? Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. There's a, there's a line from a book that I like, which argues that, uh, the, uh, that America is extended adolescence in general, mm-hmm. meaning that in this country, there's a large class of people who never have to grow up, whatever, meaning facing the reality of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, that's, I think that's a different topic than this one. But I think but I think it does lend itself to those who are privileged lives. They right. can extend that adolescent, adolescence forever if they never really have to step into a role of big responsibility or huge or painful decision making. Right. But then but I would also say there is a way of where you could follow this conveyor belt and do all the steps right and still I would argue be basically an adolescent because mm-hmm. you stick your head in the sand about the reality of the world meaning like you know you could have a, a very high powered job and even have a family and be deeply immature and be yeah. and be a, a bad husband <laughs> and and be a bad father and and not uh, bear up to the, to the suffering that is in this country and in other countries around the world. And I think that's, to me, that's like a, a scarier form of adolescence, mm. which we often see in, in the political sphere, not to go there, mm-hmm. than, than the sort of adolescence of not knowing what job you're going to get. That's a good point. That is a good point because the conveyor belt in some ways almost – make lays out the plan so clearly for people that there's not a lot of grappling that has to happen. And maybe part of that 20s argument is that you need to stretch yourself and see other ways of living or experience other ways of being and try other things so that when you make that decision to get on your path, that path has been twisting and turning till you've got your forward momentum. Well, uh, and I, but I realize I'm actually quite passionate about these topics. So I'm glad to. Uh, thanks for this, this pushing. Because I, another thing I like to say and, and think about is that there is no arrival. You okay, know, true. You know, you think we sort of think even with this 20s idea, maybe you're going to explore, but then you'll find your way. You know, you'll get on, you'll get on your path, and mm-hmm. then we can all kind of 
deep, breathe a collective sigh of relief and think, oh, thank goodness, Kyle. Kyle found his path. Kyle found grandma. his path. <laughs> yeah. Like my grandma always says, so, you know, I think there's a waiting for a settling down yes. into something. So that we can relax. Right. But I don't think, <laughs> I think basically even if you have, you think you've arrived, yeah. no one has arrived. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what are you still doing alive? I mean, that's what being alive is, is not arriving. Um, and, and continuing to explore and, and struggle and feel joy and all of the things of what it is to be alive. So the pushback as we go into break is this. And we come back, Gabe, you're going to get to weigh in. You sound like a privileged person who gets to make all those choices because I would imagine that for the vast majority of people, there better be a plan because there isn't the freedom to just wander and explore. And so how can we build both things in, the ability to be able to wander and explore ourselves, but still the reality of house, roof over our head, food on the table, maybe caring for our family, right? So those, mm-hmm. those realities, because we don't want to sound ignorant about the realities, which is the vast majority of people have to have a plan. Absolutely. And I think that's part of what the defining decade is trying to push up against is that for a, for a small fraction of our society, there is the freedom to roam. But for the vast majority, there's got to be a plan. And I think that's where the fear is, is that that extended adolescent emerging adulthood is harming those people that really don't have the entitlement to be able to wander. So if you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist and my guest, Kyle Berlin, and it gave the intern who is patiently waiting for his turn. Uh, We're going (laughs) to take a quick break and come back to open up the phone lines at 805-781-3875 and hear your thoughts about the defining decade as well. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. I'm Elizabeth Baird, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm joined today by my guests, Kyle Berlin and Gabe. I'll say Gabe the intern. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you, Gabe, though. You've done a lot to kind of keep the show in order. And this topic feels like it's in both of your wheelhouse because Gabe is 22 and Kyle's turning 29 this year. And we're talking about that decade of our 20s and what what should be happening and the three different lenses one is that we should have a plan a, pa- a plan and a path that we're following to make sure that by the time we hit 30 we've got you know things organized enough so that we can be employable that we can you know have love and have a solid economy and and then the other idea is that maybe we've just allowed our young people to wander off into this extended adolescence of playing video games and 
you know, roaming to be influencers or whatever the popular iteration of young 20s are, or that we actually have evolutionarily got to a place where we need a longer adolescence, that this emerging adulthood needs to go into our late 20s because people are more slowly developing into adulthood. So, Gabe, you're 22. What's your plan? Um, First off, (laughs) I just want to say this is really cool being able to sit next to you and gain all this knowledge as I am turning 23 this year. Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) um, No, but in all honesty, I think for me in my next few years is to just try and experience more things to to shift and change and stretch and put in, be put in different situations as a young man so as I get older um, I can say I've experienced these things and I can help everyone in any scenario that comes my way. Um, I don't think there is any type of pressure to have things figured out necessarily but becoming more mature and educated and by doing that now in this day and age is talking to older people and being put in hard situations to grow and callous my mind and just become a better human being. Um, so I think that's my goal. I know as I talk to other people and the path that they may be taking is totally different, but as far as exploring and trying to find Uh, myself or looking for other things that I don't have, I don't think that is at the top of my list. I think just becoming a good human being and going through obstacles that are hard to overcome, but accomplishing them and um, just becoming more educated and a provider is my main goal. So I think partly you might agree with the emerging adulthood piece that you're wanting some more time to kind of stretch and step into what it is to be an adult before taking on that responsibility. Right. Like, you know, my mom did at 19 and I did at 24 that maybe it's just the evolution of expanding. Kirsten did it at, you know, 30. So maybe yours will be 35. That's what I'm, it might be hearing you say. Exactly. And so I, I think about, well, I think we'll hear from Joel first and then we'll, we'll jump back in because this whole idea of what we're to do with our twenties, like you're saying, Gabe has a lot to do with, what are the opportunities we have and what are the end goals? Like, what is it that we want for our life? Do we want to have a family? Do, you know, do we want to raise children? Um, do we want to be part of the community? And I think those are things that are worthy of having deep discussions about in our early 20s. Because if that is the plan, there is the biological realities of how do we put that into action or make it happen. Our number is 805-781-3875. And Joel, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? So this is just such a great topic for me. Um, When I was growing up, I had a really contentious relationship with my father. And one of the things that he would just lambent, Joel, some people grow up when they're 16, some when they're 26, some at 36, (laughs) some at 46, and some never do. Mm -hmm. What the heck is it going to be with you? (laughs) And I... I wish I had had the wherewithal and the and the thought of it to look at him and say, you know, Pop, I'm at the 16. It's the first rung on that ladder. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you? How old are you now? Do you mind telling me, Joel? 64. So, when did you grow up? I still haven't. Oh, but okay. I have. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the point of 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 calling in is that. And, and when I was being questioned before coming on to this, the discussion we had was about 
young people, what they're exposed to in their younger life, and I say way earlier than their 20s, mm-hmm. really can have a substantial impact on this, especially if they're exposed to it with some support and mentorship and direction. Mm-hmm. And so at, on the one hand, we, we need to understand that they haven't formed a lot of these parts of their brain. And then on the other hand, we need to understand that we live in this the, the technology and communications age where we can offer them experiences and things in life, and we, we can help them do this much more quickly because things are changing so fast that they're going to have to. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's a matter of putting the resources into that and recognizing it and facilitating it. Well, if I hear you correctly, Joel, at 64, you're saying, I want to be a mentor for this younger generation because I've lived a life and I can maybe be of some service or value for those young people coming up. That's why I attended the event on uh, Saturday. I didn't get the chance to say hi to you or take the chance. But (laughs) but yeah, I, I think that ultimately I will do that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Joel, thank you for calling in. And be in touch. Send me an email if you want to pursue the the mentoring piece, too, as well, okay? I will. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Okay. So how important is having that mentor guide? Is there someone you look up to who you're kind of modeling your life steps after? Uh, Yes, I think Joel's point is is very important um, because, I mean, basically – it's, it's something that I can only imagine counterfactually because I've always been blessed with good mentors such as yourself, Elizabeth. I mean, my own parents, I come from extremely privileged. We talk about privilege. That's, to me, the biggest privilege that I have is that I had the support of mentors in my adolescence but also through my 20s. And even now, I mean, I, I have people in my life who are older who I admire the way that they live their lives and they've done it somewhat unconventionally, which is, to me, they've, you know, blazed a trail for themselves, and I see that that's possible. And obviously, my trail is not going to be the same as theirs, but to see that they were unconventional and a bit, yeah, unusual in their past, but have made it to a point of, 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 I mean, contentment in a way, that's inspiring to me. And I say made it again, but it's not like, as I said, to go back to my other point, there's no arrival. It's not like they've made it. They're keep making it you know which is part of the reason for the show that you're doing on saturday sunday sunday i'm sorry sunday the 28th sunday the 28th at 2 p.m at the women's club of ag and it's called it's called grandmas rhizome theater company presents grandmas and you can see our more info at rhizometheater.org which is our website and it's r-h-i-z-o-m-e yes and (laughs) theater the the regular way not the fancy way of spelling it e-r so this conversation, though, on, on Sunday with the grandmothers is maybe a bit about that wisdom and that different way of imagining life. And it's free to the community, as we've mentioned. So how about for you, Gabe? Are there mentors or, you know, are there people who you, who you uh, admire? Absolutely. Okay. Um, inspire your future? I think that that is a huge role in a young man's life. Um, I've had a handful of good mentors that I try and example by mm-hmm. to um, 
just to follow and look up to. And, you know, there's been many cases in my life where I needed a mentor. And I don't think if I had that mentor, I would be sitting with everyone today and have this sort of ideas and things to be talking about. But as even for me being 22, I have younger younger men or, or boys in my life that um, I take very critically and, and educationally to sit down with them and just talk to them as a young man. And even going through all these experiences, you know, you, you make steps in your life. And I think at every step or getting closer to the end, even if there's not an end, but, you know, as you grow older, there are those people that help you along the way and give you that extra ump or fire mm-hmm. to keep going and tell you that you're not alone. So, but just to go back on the arrival and things like that, there's one thing that I wanted to just comment on is when the heartbeat is done, mm-hmm. it's a straight line. Um, when you're alive and the heartbeat's up and down, being able to accept the ups and downs, you never really want to be a straight liner. You want to be alive and feel alive. And I think just sitting here today and actually thinking about it, being able to just go through experiences that I don't think I'll be able to go through later on and have these mentors tell me about is something really important that I'm going to focus on. That you want to have, like Kyle said. Yes, exactly. Those, those adventures are the things to look back on that do create the story of the man because oftentimes I think of, and I'll tell my students, think of yourself as a grandparent, mm-hmm. Sunday the 28th. When you <laughs> when, Think of yourself as that grandparent. What are the stories you're going to tell your grandchildren? And so when you're thinking about that path of your life, what are those things you want to be able to share and model for your children? Because really... That's what we are talking about is that generational story. And part of the whole idea of the 20s and the change of what's important in the 20s is that there's been this generational change from your grandparents to today as far as what age people are getting married and settling down and how long they're living. So we're having to all kind of figure out together what does it mean to be in your 20s today. Our number is 805-781-3875. And Bruce, thanks for calling in. What's on your Uh, mind? Well, uh... I lived at home. I was working part-time, and I got my girlfriend pregnant at 24. There you go. And that was not my plan. <laughs> and so uh, basically, you know, what I did, I I hung out with a bunch of people. Like, we read Alan Watts and Carlos Castaneda in high school. Wow. So we were pretty, you know, self-aware, but we were a bunch of stoners. <laughs> and... You know, we hung out and partied, you know, and we all went to college and a couple of, I wasn't one that finished. And I guess what happened was, you know, I, I've always known people that had a really strong, what they call what, the moral compass. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. But then I had to ask myself one question, you know, would I want me as a dad? Mm-hmm. And then once I answered that question, then I said, okay, now what do I need to do to change to become a good dad. And I think uh, what he was saying earlier about, uh, you know, you're finished when you when you pass away. Mm-hmm. You don't hit the finish line. It's like every morning you have a choice. You know, you know what the right thing is to do. And every morning you wake up with a clean slate and you wake up with a choice. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide, you know, if you're going to follow that choice or not. You know, and I, I lost some friends to addiction, you know, that, your 20s is kind of when you say goodbye to certain friends, mm-hmm. and it's really nice later in life if you meet up with them again because, you know, they became more, you know, more fun, higher-functioning human being, and you've got that history with them. And that's it's really beautiful when you run into someone later like that, but there's a point when you have to just kind of decide, mm-hmm. you know, what you want for you. Mm-hmm. 
And and so every, every like I said, every morning you wake up and you make that choice. You know, what do I want to do? Yeah. I was living at home, working part time, and I'm just like, what do I do here? You know. So we're all sitting around partying at this one person's house. You know. And I just started writing 200 times 52 equals 10,400. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, well, if I get a second job, 200 bucks a week in a year, I got 10,400 bucks. Back then, You could that was a down payment for a house. Yeah, yeah. And they were all kind of laughing at me, you know, oh, you know. And then the next week, I'd do it again. The next week, I'd do it again. And then a year later, you know, I said, oh, we're buying a house. And then, you know. Suddenly, my buddies had a piece of paper out. Well, if I make an extra 150 a week, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and uh, and I think you know, life throws you. You know, what do they say? God laughs, man plans, and God laughs, something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, you you can have your plan, but chaos is always going to come at you. Chaos is part of life. Yeah. Whether you're you know your living situation changes, you have to move. Whether you can't finish your master's or doctorate. You know, something happens in your life to where that plan gets gets shoved aside. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the main thing you have to do is you just can't give up. And you have to know that you have the ability to finish whatever you choose to finish. And it might not be on your timeline, but it doesn't mean you have to give up on it. True. Bruce, that was a beautiful story. Thank you. And I could hear the emotion in your voice as you talked about your life choices. So thank you for calling in. Please do call in again. And this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. My guests today are Kyle, Kyle Berlin and Gabe, our intern. And we're talking about those years of your 20s. And you know, it's interesting what he just said, because I think what makes the adult is the crisis or trauma or challenges that we face. Then maybe we are just adolescents until our bubble is burst. And I think it all comes to us at different times. And maybe that's the moment of growing up, finding out your girlfriend's pregnant at 24. And I've mentioned on the show many times over the last 15 years that for me, it was my best friends were killed in a car accident my senior year of college. And that popped every adolescent bubble I had. And I stepped into this, you know, very different way of seeing my priorities. And so maybe it is those challenges. And what, what you know, separates people is how we step into those challenges. And we're able to either meet the moment as an adult or we crumble and so that preparation that that resilience that needs to be formed as Kyle said in high school well before college that kids need to have challenges and be able to bounce back up if they have disappointments or go to college and realize you can make it because the big giant moment that creates that moment where you can step into adulthood for a couple you know generations it was being called into war you know being drafted like every person has their moment so that that just is really ruminating in my head but I don't want the hour to run out before we have this conversation because this is, I think, probably the more controversial feeling I have about the 20s. And I want to hear both of your feelings. I do think it's important to pay attention to finding your life's mate in your 20s because I don't think there are millions of options out there. I think it's rare to find that life's mate and those opportunities come up. You know, 85%, statistically, 85% of adults will get married and have a family. 15% will either live with someone long-term or not get married, don't have children. But 85% of our population makes that commitment. And there is this period of time that you have opportunities to see people, meet people, grow a life together. And I often 
think about how important it is to find that person and then build your life around that relationship instead of what we're have been doing for the last few generations, which is saying, find that career and maybe someone will come along and you can figure it out. And I think that's set us up in many ways for the challenges that people in relationships feel. So being of that generation, Kyle, where you've been told it's all about the career and the path and maybe someday you'll meet someone, what are your thoughts now at almost 29? Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's a loaded question. It is a loaded question, especially knowing that some significant others might be listening. Yes, Um, (laughs) but the um, I I want I want to take that question that you just asked me and bring it back to what you were your provocation earlier about people who feel that they don't have a choice to 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 mess around the privilege piece of well, it's all well and good for me with my Princeton degree to think. That it's, uh, you know, to gallivant and explore and whatnot. And um, and I think that's totally true. I think that there's way too many people in this country and lot, not to speak of all the other countries around the world who don't feel that they have a choice and quite legitimately do not have a choice for economic reasons mm-hmm. of, of what they can do with their life, which is where I think actually your point about relationship really comes in strongly for me because I think that the problem with the way that our whole society is structured is that it prioritizes the economic over the social. It prioritizes money over people on so many levels and that at the end of the day when we're all on our deathbeds, hopefully having lived a long and full life, it's a cliche but it's totally true. Who's going to look back and think, gosh, I'm really glad for all that money I had, for how successful I was in my job, versus, gosh, I'm so glad that I had this love in my life. And and I think for a lot of people, and it is you know a, a great love or maybe a few great loves. And for lots of people, it's also, you know, it could be amazing deep friendships or maybe they never find their romantic soulmate or they die young. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that love element is for me, the most important thing that we can build our lives around. And so but I agree with you. is that different for you now, though, if I had asked you this at 22? Well, I think I've always been relationship-centered, okay. not necessarily romantically. It's a little different now because I've fallen in love yes. romantically. Yes, But I, I have always, I think, valued friendships and, and relationships over over career um, aspirations. And, and, and I think, like, ultimately... We, politically, we want to get our society to a point, but also socially, where we're we're allowed to, you know, prioritize that that connection over the kind of precarity of the economic model that makes us uh, feel beholden to to work and 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 not not that love connection. Yeah, and the priorities. And so, do you? What's the pressure you feel at twenty two? Is it about career that you need to be forming? Are you, what do you think? You know, knowing what I what I'm going to do when I graduate, I think right now it's just surrounding myself with people who I really love and who I know really love me back, and building my life around that. I don't really not worried about work. I'm not worried about the money. That I mean, I'm not going to go to. I'm not going to die with it. I want to have a successful life and a successful family, but I can't have that without good relationships. Mm -hmm. So a point of being in a romantic relationship, I think when you truly just love somebody for who they are and being able to grow and build off of that, and like you always say, uh, the extra uh, branches or or being able to grow, Mm -hmm. um, you change periodically. And But my main focus is just being around people 
guys, girls that I really, really love and make me feel loved and make me feel happy because in the end, it doesn't matter how big my house is or what car I'm driving. As long as I can laugh and feel loved with the people that I'm around, I think life will be great. So there is something that makes the patriarch really anxious, I would imagine, or, you know, just the the way that we formed our society into being capitalistic and built on growth and needing growth. Um, there's a lot of people really worried that these next generations are only going to care about being in love and that work will be secondary. And, oh, my goodness, what happens to the economy or the, the motor of this country if we have generations that don't get on the path and, and make themselves, you know, workhorses. I mean, I, I'm curious because you're both kind of saying the same thing. And that wouldn't have been the story 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I, My husband wouldn't have said that when we got married. He would have said, I have a job and I have a wife and I have a child and I'm taking care of them very matter of factly because that was the role. But I don't hear the two of you feeling like that's my purpose. So I 100% agree with that. I, I want to be a provider. I want okay. to have kids. I want to make enough money to to have them do what they want and do the things that I've been blessed to be able to do. But right now, knowing that I am capable of that mm-hmm. and I know that that will happen, I'm just right now in my 20s as we speak just worrying about my relationships and my okay. friendships because I know that work is out there and there's plenty of money to be made. And you're and capable I, And of I'm it. very capable of it okay. and I can strive for that. But in my 20s right now, I just want to be surrounded by good people and go through experiences that will shape me to the man that hopefully I will become someday. And maybe having to let go of those relationships that no longer serve you, which I loved that was said before, that exactly. maybe your 20s is about letting go of those people that hold you back. Mm-hmm. So then for you, what does that look like? I mean, you know that you can make a living, so it's about being in love? or uh, Well, f- frankly, at this juncture, for the first time in my life, I'm not sure that I can make a living. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sure that I can, but I don't. I don't have a grant right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have a job right now. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm up against an economic question mark of mm-hmm. I, I need to make income and I need to be able to survive economically. And, um, you know, that is, that is a, real, a real concern. But I don't think – but I, the relationship element still to me is, is the priority. I mean, it's not that I can just sort of, you know – hang out with people all the time and forget about the economic question Mm -hmm. but rather I'm going to go about it from prioritizing the relationship that's the lens that I'm going to look at the economic question through how does that fit right so I need to make money that's a fact Mm -hmm. most people unless you're independently wealthy that's true so that's a fact but then the other fact is I want to prioritize people in my life and the people that I love and so what, what can I do that prioritizes those relationships um, and, and, and addresses the fact of needing to make money? And, you know, if I don't know exactly what that looks like pragmatically, but that's, that's how I'm thinking about that, that question. And listening to Kyle and Gabe is why I have great hopes for the future because this, this – openness to wanting to bring love and relationships and knowing that we need to work and survive. I hope it gives everyone this good feeling that ah, the future is in good hands in some ways that we don't know yet, but the intention is there. So Kyle, people are going to come see the show on Sunday. Sunday, January 28th at 2 p.m. at the Women's Club of Arroyo Grande. Uh, Grandma's show, no reservation or tickets 
necessary, and we'll be reflecting on on what some older women have to say about a lot of these very uh, same questions. So I highly recommend it. Great opportunity to connect and be with other people and to see the work of Kyle Berlin, writer and performer and a man of the future. And Gabe, thanks for hanging out with us again for another hour. This has been a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments. Send me an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com or get me a message through Instagram or Facebook. Listen to previous shows at kcbx.org or podcast my show. Share it with friends. Let's build this community. Community. Thank you for tuning in and supporting Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Don't let me hear you say lights taking you nowhere. Life's begun, nights are warm and the days are young. Come with a feet. There's more feet, lost, that's all. But I'm begging you, see for a little soul. Last night they loved you, opening doors and pulling some strings. Walk luck and you looked in time Never looked back, walked tall